Greetings, church leaders. You know, most church leaders have limited access to the practical support and important information they need in order to serve well. We provide that information and support so that they can more effectively carry out their responsibilities. This is the Effective Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Carrie Holton. I'm joined by my co-host, Becky Holton. Yes, you are. Welcome, listeners. And to bring some of you up to speed who may be listening in for the very first time, we have been highlighting the four best practices that are identified in the book, Move, What 1,000 Churches Reveal About Spiritual Growth. Yes, we have. The authors of that book conducted an extensive survey of over 1,000 churches and 250 50,000 congregants. And from that survey, they identified some of the best practices of highly effective churches. And today we are wrapping up our series on best practices of effective churches. And if you missed our discussion of the first three best practices, we would really encourage you to listen to podcast episodes 88, 89, and 90. I have really enjoyed this series. I think some of the information we have pulled out of this book has been so practical for churches. So, hon, what's our subject for today? Okay, well, today we are talking about churches that pastor the local community. These are churches of high expectations. These churches have church leaders and congregants alike who are knee-deep in addressing local community needs. They are pillars of great influence, bringing the heart of Christ to their communities as a natural byproduct of living out their faith in authentic devotion to him. So best practice number four is pastor the local community. You know, I think that's an interesting verb choice, that word pastor. I would expect the survey to probably have used the verb serve. You know, haven't we all heard of effective churches who serve their local community? Why do you think uh, they use this different word? What do you think is behind the choice of the word pastor instead of serve? Good question. Well, to serve, and I think you're right, that's the term most often associated with how a church interacts with its community. That term means to be useful or to render assistance in some way. To pastor, on the other hand, is a much broader concept. It's derived from its original Latin roots, and it means to shepherd. So, to pastor means to take on the role of guiding, watching over, and protecting an entire flock. Mm, I really like where that definition is taking us today. Okay. You know, we, we tend to associate the word pastor with a group of men who, you know, they shepherd a local congregation. Right. They, they guide it. They look after it. They watch over it. They protect it, nurture it. If we can imagine a church that tends to do for their community what a group of pastors do for their local church— I think we wouldn't be far off in understanding what the authors of this book meant when they said, pastor the local community. Right. Love it. Right. We're talking now about a church that becomes a powerful voice and influence in its community. Best practice churches see their role as pastors of their communities, people of God who not only serve their communities, but also step up to try to resolve problems like homelessness and addiction that may plague their neighborhoods. 
They are plugged into community networks and are deeply involved in local issues. That's because they believe they are called to be shepherds, to guide, watch over, and protect not just the people who walk through their doors, but all the people who walk the streets where they live. I'm, I'm guessing some may wonder if this is the work of the church. Uh, but I think right here, the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 might give church leaders and churches all the justification they need to serve and pastor their communities. Good. Why don't you read that for us? It's a little bit of a long reading, but it's worthy with this of us reading it with this topic. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered into his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. And I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing, or when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons, for I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't even give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison didn't help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. That's such a powerful scripture. It really fits here, doesn't it? You know, that we're going to be judged one day on the basis of how well we met the needs of people around us. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful passage. I think we could also turn to another passage like Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. So then, whenever we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. Right, and, and I think we could look at Romans 15 and the special collection Paul took up for the poor Christians in Jerusalem, or we could go to James 2 and James's discussion of faith and works. There's a lot of scriptures, really. Right, right, and, and why, don't we, why don't we get right to the three key strategies uh, for pastoring the local community that are mentioned in Hawkins and Parkinson's book? Are we ready to do that? All right, before you start pulling out all the scriptures that you know by heart over there, oh let's my. move along. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, here is the first key strategy. Set a high bar for serving the church in the community. Best practice churches make it clear early and often that they count on congregants to serve the needs of both the church and the community. Right. Profound. Right. For example, one of the best practice churches mentioned in the book is a church in Tennessee 
the people who attend that church sit on the Chamber of Commerce, canvas economically depressed neighborhoods to identify and serve needs, and go into corners where you wouldn't normally find the church. Mm. Here is their minister's advice for church leaders. Number one, be a high-expectation church. He says that if people come to their church expecting to sit passively in the pews, they've come to the wrong place. Oh, good. I like that. Yeah. Regular ministry, he says, is non-negotiable and part of the membership covenant. Hmm. Number two, he says, preach the announcements. Every weekend, he brings the highest priority church needs to everyone's attention connecting the dots between opportunities to serve and spiritual growth. Then he tells them to go to a central location called Connection Point after services to talk with him about how they can meet those needs. Here's number three. He says, constantly monitor serving activity. This church keeps tabs on how often and in what way people are serving mostly to make sure they don't overextend themselves and burn out. That's a new thought. Yeah. Monitoring volunteer participation also helps ensure that people don't stay uninvolved. And number four, his advice is to make it easy. A volunteer strategy called Try It for 20 teams up a serving rookie with a seasoned volunteer for a 20-minute experience on the weekend. This encourages trial and error participation by offering people a temporary and convenient way to sample different serving ministries, and it ultimately results in more stable, long-term volunteer commitments. Those are great ideas, and and I think, too, we could add that a number of best practice churches make serving an expectation for small groups Mm. as well. For example, one church requires its small groups to take on two serving projects every ministry season, and one project would be within and one project would be beyond the church walls. I like that. I like that. Honey, why don't you give us uh, strategy number two? All right. Here is strategy number two, and it is build a bridge into your local community. Most best practice churches establish really strong relationships and often partnerships with other churches, nonprofits, and community leaders. And they do this for two reasons. First, to stay in touch and involved with the most pressing community needs, but also to generate the greatest possible impact by working shoulder to shoulder with others to address those needs. Good. One church teamed up with the elementary school in their neighborhood. They pitch in to clean up school property every year, and they are in close contact with school administrators to meet the needs of some of the students. You know, we were so blessed to be able to do that particular one when we lived in Chicago. And I know a lot of churches do this, but we were able to connect with a with a school, an elementary school not very far from us. Uh, we connected with the school counselor, Liza, and wonderful person. We worked shoulder to shoulder with her. They had a program for uh, for girls, a, a running program, and so many of the girls were, well, it was a school full of immigrants and summer refugees, and a lot of the girls didn't even have running shoes. We were able to 
tap into other people and provide running shoes. We were able to provide backpacks full of school supplies, Christmas gifts. And even there was a time that we helped provide some funds for kids who didn't have enough food in their home when they were at home for the weekend. And I think one of the most cherished things about that relationship was working alongside shoulder to shoulder with Liza and we met her husband and the baby they adopted and just were part of that community. And she knew she could count on us right. and our friends to support her. And it was just a beautiful thing God allowed us to be a part of. I think the Lord allowed us to establish some goodwill at the very least. Yes, absolutely. And, and to start building some relationships that in time might have become, well, salvific. Yes. I don't know what that word means. <laughs> salvific. But, you know, one thing I have often thought of that school, and it just was very touching to us. I know we were up there a lot, but we discovered it was a school where they had sometimes kids from a witness protection program that were there. And even though sometimes the government would come in and remove all knowledge of this child if the family had to suddenly move, we had in our hearts knowing that those kids had shoes on their feet or some school supplies or right. something that they could look at and say there were some people that loved us and cared about us, and it we went were, with them. We were just trying to build a bridge into the community, weren't we? We were, yeah. Doing the best we could with God's help. Well, the church leaders of, of one church mentioned in the book went to city officials and asked them what they saw as priority needs in the community, and then they asked how they thought the church might be able to help. I think that's good. That's not rocket science, but I've never thought of doing that. Right. Just go ask the question to the people that would know. Go talk to the mayor. Go talk to the city council. What can loud. we do to help yeah. you? And it's about being visible in a community, you know, meeting community leaders, introducing them to Christians who care about the community. Oftentimes, I just think we as Christians and churches, we get in our own little silos and we get well, we get isolated from the very community we're living in. I think you're right, and this is likely another one of those paradigm shifts that we've been talking about. We're doing a lot of those, aren't right, we? Right, a paradigm shift for many church leaders and churches. You know, church leaders in these best practice churches, they see needs. Mm-hmm. They own the issues. They then join forces to resolve the issues. Those three stepping stones represent mental shifts for church leaders who just currently define their particular flocks or their members as the people sitting in the pews? Well, what it tells us overall is these are churches on mission right. because that will formulate all of this. And we probably should be thinking about Jesus who modeled this for us. He modeled a different way when he fed the 5,000. He first saw the need, then he gathered the resources and the people and asked God to bless them, and then he did it. He fed them. Absolutely. Easy model. Hun, how about strategy three? Well, okay. It is to make serving a platform for the gospel. Okay. I know that church leaders have debated this for generations. Should we care for the marginalized or the lost? Should we be concerned about social justice or evangelism? That's a classic tug of war. It is. For church leaders as they wrestle with how to allocate their resources, their time, and their attention. 
I think the scriptures teach that both are important. You know, the prophets of the Old Testament and the early church, they detested that. But which is primary? Which is secondary? Does that matter? Those are big questions. Good questions. Good questions. Well, best practice churches, they tend to not see these two activities as independent. They believe that serving is the best way to reach people for Christ. I really agree with that because I can see how rubbing elbows with people in the community, you know, outside of the walls of the church would allow Christians to meet people who need Jesus and serve them in very practical ways. And hopefully relationships begin in which the gospel of Jesus can be shared. And quite frankly, this is all around us. We just have to develop the awareness and the ways to connect. Yes, I think you're right about that. What we're saying here is that best practice churches, well, they would tell us that serving people in the community starts people down a path toward growing a relationship with Christ. And if there is one thing churches could use these days, honey, it's a way to get into the community and build relationships with people who need Jesus. Absolutely. Meeting community needs may well be a first step toward spreading the gospel with the lost. You know, I one time heard a preacher say this, and I think there is a lot of truth in these words. He said, acts of service, probably more than anything else, motivate people down the pathway of spiritual maturity. He said, what has hurt us is that we have overly trained people in classrooms and have not given them hands-on experience. And while the scripture does teach us that we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. That's what the scriptures have told us over and over. Absolutely. Those are good thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking just now of one of my favorite all-time illustrations. Uh, You've heard it before many times. I know what you're going to say, and I think it's one of mine too. I may have shared, we may have shared this even on this podcast, but I hope our listeners, if they've heard it before, will still uh, benefit from from it. Well, it's the story of Ira North, who used to be the preacher for the Madison Church of Christ in Madison, Tennessee. And that church, it had a reputation for meeting community needs. Uh, Ira North told the story of how he was one Saturday afternoon in his study preparing his message for the following Sunday morning when he heard a knock at the outer door. There were two little boys who had come to his door, knocked on the door. Ira opened the door, and those two boys said, uh, Mister, is this the church what helps people? And <laughs> Ira North said, well, of all the churches you could have gone to in this town, you have come to the church that helps people. <laughs> and as I said. What a compliment. Yeah, that church had a reputation for helping people in need. Uh, they had warehouses of furniture and clothing and whatever needs the community had, they were they were quick to meet them. And by the way, At one time, they were the largest and fastest growing church in our fellowship. So certainly they they were evidence that there is a link between Mm -hmm. meeting needs and helping people to find Jesus. So I've always loved that illustration. Uh, uh, The connection must be there between serving needs and evangelism. Right, right. Well, we've said an awful lot in this podcast, and I think it's probably time for us to wrap it up and put a bow on it and... I'm not going to ask. I just know you have some closing thoughts. You know, I do have some closing thoughts in this particular episode. I'm just so surprised. <laughs> well, let me <laughs> let me review just a little bit and try to try to wrap this up. The best practice we've been talking about is all about 
being a city set on a hill, Mm -hmm. the church being a light in its community or being salt in its community, having an influence in a community, adopting a community, getting out into the community and serving the community. And I, I think this is a word that church leaders really need to hear today. We are talking about the community having a favorable impression of the church so that they might be open to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'm thinking just now about that Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 2. Let me close by reading a few of these verses from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 43. Okay. I'll try not to preach too long. I can see the off button. Just okay. say it. <laughs> Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. That's an important phrase. They had the goodwill of all the people. And here's how chapter 2 closes. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You see the connection there. Absolutely, absolutely. You have the goodwill of the people. You're meeting needs. That opens their hearts to hear your message, and day by day, the Lord leads those people to Christ. And I know this is another whole podcast, but just as a comment, I wonder if we were doing better with this in our churches, if there would be less of the pettiness that goes on, because there wouldn't be that hollow space for us to be immature. We would be called higher to act better, serve more, be out there with what really matters and being on mission. Good thought. Just wonder. But anyway, church leaders, please give some of these ideas we've talked about today some thought. Think about how you might pastor your local community. Isn't that a great verb and a great thought? Well, that does it for us today. And we want to thank you again so much for joining us for this week's episode of the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we exist to provide support for church and ministry leaders. Please plan to join us next week for a brand new episode. And until then, God bless you in your work for the Lord.